want to welcome you to the conclusion of our Free Grace series. And in case you haven't been able to be here, I just wanted to give you a summary of what Free Grace Theology is all about. Free Grace Theology that we teach here at City Church is God's grace cannot be earned and his love cannot be lost. God's grace cannot be earned and his love cannot be lost. And here's what that means for us. If you're the kind of a person who tends to think, man, I think I gotta, you know, hope that God be good enough for God, try to get him to love me. You don't have to worry about that. You cannot earn his love. You can't earn his grace. And what's even more, if you think that God's just waiting to try to sort of hammer you whenever you don't live up to what he thinks you should do, you can't lose his love. God's grace, can't, his grace cannot be earned and his love cannot be lost. And y'all, this has tremendous implications for us when it comes to the study of salvation. Now, this is a theological series, and so we have been studying salvation, which is called soteriology. And soteriology is made up of three parts. We've seen this. First of all, first part is called justification. And justification means to be saved from the penalty of sin. The second part of soteriology is sanctification. And sanctification means to be saved from the power of sin in your life. If you've ever wished that you could live a better life, if you ever wished that you could get it together and your life could start moving forward, that's what sanctification is all about. And today, we want to focus on the third part of soteriology, which is called glorification. And this means to be saved from the presence of sin for eternity. Now, in the first week of our series, in case you weren't here, we compared what the Augustinian system that many of you grew up in, we compared this with free grace theology as it specifically relates to justification. Now, what we saw in the Augustinian system is that a guy by the name of Augustine, who was a tremendous intellect, he was a bishop in North Africa in the 5th century, and Augustine has been extremely influential in what most of us think about salvation. Augustine believed that justification was a process whereby you and I become more righteous over the course of our life until hopefully at the end of your life, you would be good enough for God to be able to welcome into heaven. And in order to help us become good enough, Augustine created what is known as the sacramental system. And in the first week, we saw several things about this system that Augustine created. The first thing we saw is that you have to go through the entire system over the entire course of your life in order to go to heaven when you die. But we realize that this actually puts the burden of salvation on you and me. And we also saw that really it sort of uh, makes it impossible for any of us to be certain if we have eternal life because none of us can know for sure how we're going to end up at the end of our life. No matter how good you're trying to be, no matter how much you're attempting to reform your own life, 
You cannot predict with certainty if you'll be good enough for God at the end of your life. And so that means that we really can't know in the Augustinian system if we have salvation until after we've already died. And, uh, you know, we just sort of said, I mean, it's not necessary. That's not really the best news if you think about it. And for some of you, this system has not really been satisfying to you. And that might be part of the reason that you've ended up here at City Church. Well, here at City Church, we teach free grace theology. God's grace cannot be earned and his love cannot be lost. And we teach something very different about justification. Here, we don't believe that justification is a process at all. In fact, the word justified is the Greek word dikaiao. And dikaiao means literally to be declared not guilty. And what we saw is, is that this is a courtroom term. And so in the first week, we said, imagine you're in God's courtroom, but you have believed in Jesus, and the moment that you believe in Jesus as your Savior, you put your faith in him and only him to save you for eternity, the gavel of God comes down, and he declares you not guilty. The moment you believe, he declares you righteous. The moment you believe, he declares you in that moment that you are good enough to go to heaven. And what we saw is, is that in free grace theology, the burden is completely on Jesus to save you. It's not on you to be good enough. And that is why Jesus could guarantee this. He said... He who believes in me has everlasting life. And we said that this little word right here, has, is in the present tense. And that means at the moment you believe, at the moment you put your faith in Jesus, you have eternal life. At the moment you believe in him, you become a child of God. At the moment you believe in him, heaven is yours. And we said, you can know for sure today, in this moment, whether or not you have eternal life. Then in week two, we said, well, if uh, we're saved from the penalty of sin, does that mean that we will automatically be saved from the power of sin in our lives. In other words, if we're justified, does that mean we'll automatically be sanctified? And we ask that question for a reason. Because many of us who have genuinely believed in Jesus and we have been saved from the penalty of sin, many of us still struggle with the power of sin in our lives. Many of us still struggle with the same old habits and the same old patterns, maybe the, some of the same addictions that we had before we believed in Jesus. Some of us still struggle with hurts from our past that keep coming up, and we have a hard time getting over those. Some of you still struggle with the same kinds of decisions that you made before you came to believe in Jesus. And many of us have experienced the fact that all of our life just doesn't change. Our marriages don't necessarily get better the moment we believe. There's still a lot of struggle ahead of us. And what we saw was, is that we tend to be, we're not the only ones who actually do this. Even the Apostle Paul, who was one of the greatest Christ followers, who wrote half the New Testament, even Paul himself struggled 
with sin in his life. This is what Paul said. He said, for what I am doing, I do not understand. For what I will to do, that I do not practice. Have you ever been there? You want to do something, you say, I'm going to do this, but you can't pull it off. And he also said, but what I hate to do, that I do. And we saw that all of us struggle with inconsistency between what we know to do, what we actually want and would prefer to do, and what we actually do. We tend to be inconsistent. And that inconsistency affects the kinds of choices that you and I make. We become inconsistent in our choices. And this is a struggle that we all have. And inconsistency in our choices, we said in week two, it matters because our choices are the sum total of our lives. If you've ever wondered, like, why is my past the way it is? Why, why did I, you know, why do I have these regrets? It's because of choices that we made. Maybe you're in a situation today in your life where he's like, I, I don't understand it. I can't figure it out. I don't know what to do. I don't know how I got here. You got to where you are because of the choices that you made. Or if you think about your future and you might say, man, I hope my future is going to be better than my past was. But if you make the same kind of choices in your future that you made in your past, then your future is going to look very similar to what your past has. Our choices are the sum total of our lives. And we saw that choices have consequences. Y'all, we all know this, right? You make your bed, you sleep in it. And so in, we said in week two that in order to make better choices, you and I have to pass our choices through what we call the love and the light test. Are the choices that I'm getting ready to make, are they loving, are they good, are they right, are they true? If they're not, we said don't do them because if you don't, if you do the same, those choices that aren't, don't pass those tests, you and I will never be freed from the power of sin in our lives. And so today, I want us to continue the conversation about choices because there is another huge reason, I mean a huge reason in my mind, to make good choices. And this is the reason here. Everyday choices that you and I make affect our experience of eternity. The choices that you make today affect your experience of eternity. Or we could put it in theological terms. We could say it this way. There is a direct relationship between your sanctification and your glorification. It's like we could put a parenthesis around these two. It's as if sanctification and glorification are joined together at the hip. They're inseparable. Now, some of you might be saying, well, Witty, what do I care? I mean, you told me whenever I believed in Jesus, I was justified. You told me heaven was mine. And you know what? You're absolutely right. If you've believed in Jesus, you're a child of God. Heaven is yours. This is what free grace theology teaches. Everyone who has believed in Jesus and is a child of God is going to be glorified in eternity forever. 
And so someone might say, well, then why should I even care about this sanctification stuff? Because justification sounds pretty easy. All I got to do is believe. But we get over here to sanctification and the power of sin, and you keep talking to me about making better choices, and that's not so easy to do. Why should I even care about this? Well, the reason you and I need to care about it is because there is way more way more on offer in eternity than just heaven. And so today, I want us to look, take a little few moments, just to look into the future, to look into glorification at that time in the future in eternity. I want us to look and see what is waiting for us in eternity. Now, y'all, this is something that you do all the time. Anytime you anticipate a vacation you're going on or maybe you anticipate like a, you have a wedding coming up in the, you know, the late spring, early summer, and you're, in, you're looking forward to that, you're living in the future, you're anticipating it, or sometimes we guys, we're going to a game or we're going on a hunting trip or, you know, whatever. We have these events that we look forward to in the future and we anticipate them and those build motivation in us. They motivate us to get in shape and lose weight and, you know, look our best and do all that kind of stuff. They're exciting to us. And the same thing is true whenever you and I, as Christ followers, look into the future about what awaits us there. And so today I want us to ask the question, how does what you and I think about the future, how does what we think about and understand about glorification, how does that affect the way we actually live today? Now, I'm going to teach you something today that I have a hunch that most of you have never heard before. And I hope you like it, but I recognize some of you not, might not. But anyway, here it goes. Some Christ followers, all right? Some Christ followers will have a greater experience. Some Christ followers will have a fuller experience. Some Christ followers will have a richer experience of eternity than others. Now, it is true that God loves all of us the same. But it is also true that we do not all love him the same. Or to put it in theological terms, all believers who have been justified will be glorified, but not all will experience eternity in the exactly the same way. And it all depends on the choices that you make every day in your life. Now, the Apostle Paul recognized this truth, and so when he wrote to the believers in Rome, when he wrote to those who were children of God in Rome, this is what he said. He said, for as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God. And I want you to pay attention to this word right here, this phrase, sons of God. In the New Testament, sons of God is a special designation given to those who are children of God, who by the choices that they make, reveal or reflect the very characteristics of God in their lives. Sons of God are children of God who make choices that reflect 
the image of God, that reflect the attributes of God, that reflect the characteristics of God in their lives. Let me give you a great example of this in Jesus himself. This is what the author of Hebrews said. He said, in the past, God spoke at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. There's our word. The son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. Now, let me unpack this for you just a little bit so that we see what a son is actually like. The author of Hebrews said, in the past, in the millennia of the past, God has revealed himself and communicated to humanity in all different kinds of ways. But then he said, about 2,000 years ago, God did something completely unique. God sent the second person of the Trinity, the Son, and he came to this earth as Jesus of Nazareth, And he lived on this earth, and when he lived on this earth, Jesus of Nazareth, the Son, he he was the radiance of God's glory, and he said he was the exact representation of his being. In other words, when Jesus walked this earth, when people saw him, they saw God. Whenever they heard him, they heard God. The son demonstrated the characteristics of his father. And y'all, that is what sons always do. When people see you, it's like they're seeing the reflection of God. If you and I, as children of God, make choices that reflect the character of God, then when others watch us, when they hear us, it's like they're seeing a reflection of God. Let me tell you, it's not easy. This past Wednesday, I went to get some blood work drawn at the lab that I always go to because I have a doctor's appointment next week, and he wanted me to you know, get some blood work done. Well, this is a lab that I've been going to, y'all, for six months now. I know I'm in the computer. I've given my insurance card to them a million times, right? But on Wednesday, I went, and it took a full hour for the lady behind the desk to verify that my insurance card was okay. Now, you just need to know something about me. I'm not bragging about this. In fact, I wish I weren't this way, but that kind of stuff just drives me insane. And so for a full hour, I waited just for her to find out, like, is your insurance card good? But I know it's good already. Well, I've told you on multiple occasions, I'm really not the most spiritual pastor, and I'm about to prove it to you. So I'm preparing this talk, right? And I'm thinking about reflecting the image of God, reflecting the image of God. But I recognize also that everything I'm feeling and everything I'm wanting to say is not the image of God, right? It's that bent towards sin that we talked about last week. And so I had to keep saying to myself, Witty, you're a pastor, and y'all, you know, I'll, I'll be at H-E-B checking out and, you know, I'll have something that maybe I shouldn't have. And all of a sudden, the, you know, the girl on the other side, hey, Pastor Witty. And it's like, I can't hide anywhere. And so I don't know if this lady knows me or not. And I'm looking around in the waiting room to see if I recognize anybody else. And I keep saying to myself, act like a pastor, act like a pastor, act like a pastor. Be kind. I wasn't feeling kind. Be patient. I was not patient. 
Be thankful that she's trying to help you. I had a little bit of that. I'm telling you, it was a struggle to reflect the image of God. You ever been there? Guys, let me just ask you a question. When you walk through the door of your house, does your wife think that God just entered the room? (laughs) Now be kind, ladies. And I know what some of you men are thinking. If you knew my wife, uh uh-uh, doesn't matter. You married her, right? It was your choice. When you come in, do you love your wife the way God loves her? Y'all, whenever other people hear us talk, Mom, whenever you've been with your children all day long, it's been spring break, when will school start again? It's been a hard day. By the end of the day, when they hear the words that come out of your mouth, when they hear that tone of voice, Mom, do your kids think they're hearing the voice of Jesus? (laughs) Whenever you're hanging out with your friends or you're at work or something like that, and the other guys hear you talking, do they think they're hearing the voice of God? Whenever people that you work with, when they see your work ethic, when they see how you conduct yourself, when they see the kind of work that you turn out, do they think that you're turning out the kind of work that God would turn out? Well, you know what? Whenever they saw the sun, whenever they saw Jesus, that's exactly what they thought. And they, they thought that because he was a son. Sons reflect the characteristics of their father. And it made his father proud. Imagine how proud it made him. In fact, that's why we're told in the Gospels that Jesus' baptism, that the heavens were open and a voice, a voice came from heaven. And this is what he said. He said, this is my beloved, what? Son in whom I am well pleased. Jesus lived in a way that always brought honor to his father. And this is what sons of God always do. And y'all, I know that probably the vast majority of you who are in this room today, you are children of God. You've believed in Jesus as your savior. You're trusting in him. You've been justified. Are you living like a son. Well, some of you might would say, well, Witty, why should I do that? I mean, I'm a child of God. I'm going to heaven. Why should I worry about this? There's a great reason. There's more on offer than just heaven. What do you think God will do? What do you think he will give to sons with whom he is well pleased? Well, the author of Hebrews told us, look at what God the Father gave to his son, Jesus Christ. It says, in the past, God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets, but in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things. The father was so pleased with Jesus 
When he came to this earth and he lived among us as Jesus of Nazareth, he was so pleased with the way his son lived, with the way he conducted his life, with the way that he loved us by dying on the cross. He was so pleased with him that the author of Hebrews said he made him the heir of all things. To be an heir is to be an owner. And God was so pleased with Jesus the Son that he made him the owner of all things that God has. He gave all of that to him. And y'all, whenever you and I live as sons of God, he wants to reward us in the same way that he rewarded him. Don't miss this. When we make choices that honor God, when we make choices that show that we love him, he designates us as sons, and it so pleases him that he rewards us. Y'all, there is way more on offer in, than just heaven. There is way more on offer in eternity than just being considered a child of God and going to heaven. God wants to make you an heir. He wants to give you all things. This is what Jesus meant when he said, lay up treasure in heaven. Lay it up there so that when you get there, it'll be there. He wants to give you all things. This is what Peter meant whenever he said that you and I can have a rich entrance into the kingdom. Not just an entrance, it can be a rich entrance. He wants to give you all things. This is what the author of Hebrews meant whenever he said that it is better, that there's a better and enduring possession in heaven. Not just heaven, but a better and enduring possession that is available for you and me to own. God wants to give us all things. Why does he want to do that? Why would God do that? Well, he does it because he loves us. He loves us. God's grace cannot be earned, and his love cannot be lost. This is the kind of God that he is. I was reminded of that this week. You know, you guys know that back in September, I had some surgery for cancer, and... and um, and so I've had a hard time in my recovery. It's, I mean, I'm, re I'm fine. I'm cancer-free. Thank goodness for that. But I've had a hard time, like, recoup, getting back my strength and my conditioning. And I was getting pretty frustrated about this. And so finally, uh, in, you know, this year, finally, I went to my son, Ben, who is a coach at Bedlam CrossFit, so that Ben could train me. Ben's a senior at UTA, UTSA this uh, year. He's studying kinesiology, and he's been coaching at Bedlam for a couple of years. And so, you know, I thought, well, I'll go give him a try, see if he can help me out. Well, y'all, I had no idea how good a coach my own son was. And after about six weeks, I was say, making so much progress that it began to, you know, like, turn over in my mind. I'd like to give him something for this, for what he's doing for me. Well, Ben normally makes between $50 and $75 an hour for, you know, one-on-one -on -one training, and, uh, and I was getting it for free. But I was so pleased. I was so well-pleased with my son. I was so grateful for what he was doing for me that I wanted to give him something. And when I told him that, he said, no, Dad, I don't want you to give me anything. You've been paying for me my whole life. I don't, you don't owe me. I owe you. And I said, well, Ben, I appreciate that, but you've really helped me, and I want to give you something. And, and every time I'd say, I want to give you something, he'd say, I don't want you to give me anything. I owe you. You don't owe me. And every time he said that, it just made me want to give him something even more. 
And what I realized was, is that Ben saying, hey, don't give me anything, was his way of saying, Dad, I love you. And my saying to him, hey, I know I've given you everything up to this point. In fact, it's only cost me about $150,000 to raise you, but, no, not really, but what you're doing for me, I appreciate it so much that I want to give it to you. I love you. Our expressions were love. And in this very same way, the same way that I was proud of Ben, whenever you and I act as sons of God, he is proud of us. And when we make choices that say, God, I love you, then God simply wants to express his love to us even more and rewards in eternity, giving us all things, making us an heir, is, God, is one more way that God can show his love to us. So let me ask you a question. Do you realize how much God loves you? Do you? God loves us even when we don't love him. But can you imagine how his chest swells with pride whenever he sees one of us going around making choices that demonstrate our love for him. Can you imagine how proud he is of us? Can you imagine how much that makes him love us even more? God wants to give you all that he has. Let his love consume you. Let it motivate you to make choices that show love to him. Live with this in mind. Anticipate this in your future for eternity and let it motivate you to become not just a child of God, but a son in whom he is well pleased. And so here's what I want you to do this week. I know that some of you are at a point right now in your life where you're making serious decisions. You're making choices. Ask yourself, hey, this choice that I'm getting ready to make, is this a choice that will make God proud? Is this a choice that he could reward? If I make this choice, will I be demonstrating the very characteristics of God in my life? Y'all, it's worth it because there is way more on offer than just heaven. He wants to make you an heir. And so, Heavenly Father, we thank you for your unimaginable love for us. And Lord, I know that there are all kinds of choices that are in front of us right now, things that are just consuming our mind, things that have to do with our finances, with our, with our relationships, with our jobs, with our kids, with our health. Lord, there's just a million things in this life that we have to make choices about. And Lord, I pray today that as we anticipate the future, as we anticipate glorification, I pray that we would make the kinds of choices that would make you proud. Lord, I thank you that regardless of what we do, your grace cannot be earned and your love cannot be lost. We thank you for free grace. But Lord, I also pray that we would be the kinds of people that you would be proud of. And we pray these things together in Jesus' name, amen.